Did you know there's a podcasting hall of fame? Yep. And I'm about to talk to one of its members. My name is Carrie Green, and I am the Client Happiness Guy at PodcastFastTrack.com, and this is Podcastification. Podcastification is all about you, teaching you how to podcast, how to put into practice the best practices that I and my team have learned in working with hundreds of clients. You are going to podcast better from listening to this show. If you like what you hear on Podcastification, please just hit the pause button, swipe to the sharing function on your app, and share this episode with somebody you know will benefit. And if you'd like to get in on more Podcastification goodness, you can do it by subscribing to our Podcast Optimizer email series, and I promise you, you won't get lots of junk. You'll just get one actionable email a week. Go to podcastfasttrack.com slash optimizer. That is enough of that kind of stuff. Let's get you podcastificated right away. Welcome back to Podcastification. You know, Dave Jackson is the guy behind School of Podcasting. If you have not listened to the podcast, School of Podcasting, what are you doing? You're a podcaster. You need to be listening to everything Dave has to share. Dave has a great podcast, but he's also been at podcasting since 2005. And he's been the host of, I think, over a dozen different podcasts during the last decade. Dave is an inductee into the Podcasting Hall of Fame. And for good reason, he has really been a pioneer in this area of podcasting. And he teaches about podcasting in a way that just, I don't know, it's easy to listen to. It's easy to learn from because he's a teacher at heart. Now, in today's episode, I asked Dave to speak with us about this issue of monetization. It's one of the questions I get the most, and I know Dave gets the most as a podcast coach himself. How can I monetize my show? What can I do? And Dave has just come out with a book that has to do with podcast monetization. You're going to hear more about that on the episode. But Dave's book is full of actual case studies, things that people have done to monetize their shows that actually worked. They're not all going to fit your scenario, but some of them might. And you might get ideas from some of the things he shares that you can tweak to fit your audience and your niche and your style. So stick around. Dave and I have a great conversation ahead as we talk about podcast monetization. Dave Jackson, I'm hearing from little birdies across the internet that you've written a book. And I know more than little birdies because you were nice enough to send me a copy to read. And I am almost done with the thing. It is really a cool book. Well, thank you. I, I had a, a book before called More Podcast Money. And I started to rewrite that because when that was written, Patreon didn't exist. So people were like reading that book going, where's the part about Patreon? So I, I started to rewrite it. And about that time, a publisher contacted me and said, hey, what do you think about writing a book about podcast monetization? I'm like, funny you should ask. And so I just reached out to my audience and I said, hey, if you're making a dime with your podcast, I want to know about it. So that way it wasn't just me saying, here's what I think you should do. It's like, here are some examples and here's why this worked and here's why this didn't work and that whole nine yards. So it was a lot of fun, but a lot of work. Sure. Case studies make all the difference. That's been my feeling as I've read it because you're talking about real people who have tried real things and they're making real money. It's not just 
the guys you see on the Facebook ads. Right. You know, it's re- it's real people just like my audience, which is what I'm really interested in. So I would imagine that as a podcast coach yourself, one of the questions you get the most is, hey, how do I make money for my podcast? And I assume that's behind the writing of this book. Last year in January, put out an episode that said, if you're starting a podcast to make money and quit your job in six weeks, I'm not your guy. And here's why. And people go, well, you're exaggerating for that. I'm like, no, I honestly have people say, I want to quit my job in six weeks. You could open up a Wendy's and it may not make money for the first six (laughs) weeks. You know, it's ridiculous. So that's part of it. But also I ran into people that have been podcasting for years and I would say, so how's it going? They're like, oh, good. I'm having fun and blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, well, I'm not making any money yet. And I'm like, well, is that one of the goals? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so what have you done? Like, well, we haven't been approached by sponsors. Okay. But what else have you done? Look, there are many other ways besides sponsors to make money with your podcast. So that was the other reason. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've said this many times to my audience, but I'm curious what your take is on it. I tell most people that for the average podcaster, sponsorship is not the way to go if you want to monetize your podcast. Um, I get a feeling reading your book that you feel the same way. Tell us a little bit about why you might think that. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think we dive into it because, well, podcasting is like radio and, and radio has ads. So, that's what you do. You start a podcast and you get ads. And the only time I've ever seen it really pay is when you have a super focused podcast. You're doing something about colon cancer or it's you know something super specific and there's a super specific kind of sponsor for that. I had a, a client that did a show. It was called Special Mouse. It was for people with special needs and how to take them to Disney parks. And she got a sponsor because there was a guy in Florida who specialized in transporting people with special needs. And when you have that niche, you can charge more. But yeah, for the the general person, because of radio and people want to charge, maybe if you're lucky, you know, $30 per thousand downloads, but then you have a show with 300 downloads and you're like, okay, what are you going to do with that dollar twenty seven? You know, it's just... <laughs> You're not going to Starbucks. Yeah. Or the other one I see is there are certain companies that will say, you can start a podcast and make money from day one. And I actually signed up and used one and I was making 0.0017 cents per download. So technically I, I was making money from day one, but it's not a bad idea to have multiple streams of income so that, okay, you can have ads, you can have affiliate, you can have crowdfunding, whatever it is. But yeah, I I understand why people jump to ads, but it's usually not something that's going to work. I think a lot of people think ads would be the easiest way. And I don't necessarily agree with that just because of the way the whole CPM model works and all that sort of stuff. But I also don't agree because to build a relationship with an advertiser that really is going to work for you and for them so that you have a long-term relationship, it takes a lot of work to ensure that you're giving them the data they need to make the decision to stay with you. I've got a client who is a fine artist and she approached her favorite paint and brush supplier, told them about her show, which has big name artists on it, you know, and they, they talk about brushes and paint and studio time and all the stuff artists would love to hear. And it was a no brainer for them. And so for her to make money on her podcast with sponsorship totally makes sense. And that goes to the niche audience thing that you were talking about. Well, and also she did a great thing. She picked her favorite product because Mm -hmm. now I don't really need that script that doesn't really fit my audience. Uh, I can just talk about it from the heart and that is going to sell more product than I remember uh, the microphone I'm using right now. I got it 
uh, to test. And then when I went to ship it back to the company, they said, well, would you want to barter? Maybe uh, talk about it on your show for a month and then you can keep it. And I was like, oh, that's a done deal. I remember talking about, I think it was cardoid minium magnets and blah. And it was like, finally, one of my listeners said, I don't know who gave you that copy, but like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I, I sent that to the sponsor. I go, can I just riff on the microphone and explain how much I like it and how much, why I like it? And they're like, yeah. And it just, that worked a heck of a lot better because oh, yeah. you know your audience. So when she went out to her favorite brush company, that's a, a piece of cake. I know um, Melody does a show on fine eating and things like that and eating healthy. And she just went, she has a huge Instagram following and she just took a picture of herself holding up the product and said, would you like to sponsor my podcast? And then copied the sponsor on it. And that just got the conversation going. So anytime you can start with something you love, that's a good place to start. So out of all the people that you talked with who are monetizing their show, what was your favorite? I mean, the one where you went, man, I never thought of that. And that is just brilliant. The one that I was just like, oh, that's genius, was Mark Bologna from Beyond Bourbon Street. It's a, a show about New Orleans, but it's not all the touristy stuff. The story is, first of all, Mark didn't have sponsors yet, and he realized that some people were going to be coming to that city. And he's like, oh, yeah, if you need like a city tour, check out Two Chicks Walking Tours. I don't know if he knew them or what, but all of a sudden they approached him and said, Mark, I don't know what this pod thing is that you're doing but you tripled our business. And Mark went, oh, we should probably talk about having an official sponsorship then. So he brings them on as a sponsorship. But the part I thought that was just genius is Mark has a Facebook group for his podcast and he added them to that group. And when it came time to kind of renegotiate and re-up their contract for the next quarter or whatever, he went to his Facebook group and said, hey, how many people have gone on a Two Chicks Walking Tour? And he said the hands just went up all throughout the group. Oh, I love it. These people are great. That's awesome. It was one of the, one of the best tours I've ever had, yada, yada, yada. And then he walks in and goes, so you want to, you ready to re-up for the next quarter? Yeah. And I was like, that yeah. is brilliant. Having your sponsor in the Facebook group, I go, that's such a no-brainer. So that was one that I was like, just thinking a little bit outside of the box. There was one with a nonprofit that was interesting that he he found out instead of setting up his own nonprofit, he came in under the umbrella of another one. And then his whole thing is on uh, global warming. And again, he kind of knows his audience and knows the space. And there are a lot of people, especially in the science field, that spend apparently thousands of dollars on these really long white papers that should be used as sleep aids. Like nobody reads mm -hmm. them. They're really boring. And he said, well, these people have a budget. So he went to them and said, hey, instead of spending thousands on this white paper, you've got the information. Why don't you come on my show? I've got your target audience. And we can basically turn that information from the white paper, make it more entertaining, make it more engaging. You'll get the word out about what you're working on. And then you just, instead of paying for the white paper, you pay me and I'll produce the episodes. And I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. So it was a lot of different ways of just never thought of that kind of things. And didn't realize that was uh, even a, an option to kind of become a nonprofit under the umbrella of another nonprofit. And, and that was a case where he actually gets paid on a credit card. You donate to the top charity and it kind of trickles down. And it's a little bit like a crowdfunding thing. They take about 8%, but it just comes down and he now has a credit card that he can use anywhere. And as long as there's money on that, it works. And I was like, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, that is pretty cool. You know, I like the thing that Mark did. It's kind of like having video testimonials on a page that you send clients to, only they get to interact with those video testimonials in his situation, you know, where they can ask their specific questions. I mean, I can't think of a better way to convince a sponsor to stay with you. That's for sure. Not only that, but think about it. The sponsor is getting, to a certain extent, market research. Because they can see yeah. why their customers like, why did you guys like it so much? Oh, well, you did this and this. So they know what to do more of and what hot buttons to push on potential customers. So I thought that was another great thing. It's a win-win. And that's kind of what I talk about with sponsors. You want to have a, a product that fits your audience. Obviously, you want to get paid. That's a win for you. And then a win for the sponsor because they're getting new customers. So when you can kind of design that where the audience and you and the sponsor win, Hopefully that just keeps on going and going and going. Yeah. And that leads us into something that I've noticed over the years. And that is that you want that relationship to be something that the sponsor feels so good about that they want to continue giving you money. And it's obviously not just about the money. It's about the relationship. But in order to do that, you've got to be able to do proof concept, so to speak. So your sponsor can understand the ROI they're getting. So what are some of the tricks or the steps and tech pieces that people can use to track ROI for the sake of their sponsors? Well, there are a couple of things. Some sponsors will set up a page on their website. So it's you know, sponsor.com slash carry. And then they can see how much traffic, you know, you drove to their website or vice versa. Maybe you set up something on your website. If you're using WordPress, uh, there's a, a great plugin called Pretty Link that you can set up yeah. that will actually track how many people have come. There's Bitly, there's Rebrandly. I kind of like Pretty Link because it reinforces your brand. So there's that. There are coupon codes that you can use to track things of that nature. So those are all those things that you can kind of do, but it is something that you definitely want to set up because when it comes time to renew, it's nice when you can say, Hey, I drove X amount of traffic to your site, this many sales resulted and things like that. So anything you can do to kind of help identify that those sales came from you is definitely a bonus. Yeah. I think the pretty link or the bitly thing along with their website analytics would be a great combination because you could show how many clicks came through and then they can show how many actual conversions happened based on those clicks. So they can get a, a pretty close percentage of what it is that you're driving their way in terms of profitability. Yeah. And it's one of those things where the conversion should be higher because it's not a cold lead. This isn't somebody yeah. who's reading the ad in a magazine. They kind of know you, like you and trust you and coincidentally, when you say, oh, I use these people. And that's one of the things I also found out. Everybody I talked to that had any kind of sponsorship, they all insisted that they have to use the product first. Glenn the Geek is a guy that has a, an entire network all about horses. And he explains that people will send him a product. And if he doesn't like it, he won't promote it on his show. He says, because those people, again, trust you. And he said, if I sell a product and it goes out to one of my listeners, and they use it and they go, wow, this is horrible. And then they hear me talk about another product. He goes, I've lost my trust with my audience. And so he said, it's interesting. He goes, because I've had people that have offered me a lot of money to promote their product. And it's like, it's just not a good fit. And it's not a good fit because I don't like your product. But <laughs> in the end, that's long-term thinking. You know, the short-term thinking would be like, oh man, I'm going to take that check and I'm going to cash it now. He goes, but in the long run, if you lose your integrity, then future sales are going to go down the tubes because nobody's going to believe you. It's kind of like the little boy that cried wolf. Yeah. And I think that there's a 
a little bit of forethought that needs to be put into that by podcasters because it's very tempting when Casper Mattress or whoever comes in and offers you a deal to say, oh, I've hit the big time. And so now I can have sponsorships and everything smooth sailing. But in my view, if you're hawking a product that does not serve your audience well, you're violating the trust they have in you. You're like a used car salesman. You're you're just trying to get them to buy the most expensive car you can rather than serving them, which is what good podcasting really is all about in my mind. I was in an awkward situation. I had a friend of mine that had developed this product that would alert you if your website went down and Mm. he wanted to advertise on my school of podcasting show. I didn't even look at it. I said, I got to tell you, I don't think that's going to be a good fit for for both of us. And he goes, well, why do you say that? He goes, all podcasters have websites. I go, yeah, but I've never had anybody in my audience in the years I've been doing this say, do you know of a service that would let me know if my website was down? For me, if it's not a heck yeah, it's it's mm, I don't I don't think so. And I said, you know, I hope hope this doesn't ruin our friendship, but I think you might be better on like a webmaster kind of podcast or something like that. Guys that are their job is to you know watch and make sure everything is up. I go, it kind of fits podcasters because yes, they have websites. I go, but the fact that it kind of fits is the problem. It needs to fit a hundred percent for me at least to be on my show. I kind of. I always joke that you're the goalie in your audience if this was a soccer game is the net behind you. And so whether it's a person that wants to do an interview that doesn't fit or a sponsor that doesn't fit, you're the person that's got to knock that away and make sure it never gets to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to kind of backtrack a bit because it feels in a way, because this is so much fun to talk about, it feels like we got the cart in front of the horse for a moment because I think fundamental to all of this is the fact that a podcaster who is trying to profit from his podcast needs to first be focused on providing great value to his listeners. Tell me what your thinking is about that. How does the value you provide lead into profiting from your podcast? When I hear somebody ask me, what's the best thing to talk about that'll make the most money the quickest? I'm like, just don't even start your podcast. That's yeah. that's like the worst question you can ask. Delivering value is a couple different things. It, it could be a longer in-depth interview on a topic that you can't get anyplace else. Because if you think about it, if it's on a talk show these days, if it's Jimmy Fallon or whoever, or any kind of daytime talk, it's a seven minute interview and half of it is just fluffy and let's roll the clip. People will pay to be transformed. If you think about it, you you pay a lot of money to go to college so that when you walk in, you knew this much. And when you walk out, you know this much. And in theory, you're now able to do the job. So people will pay to be transformed. And whether that's through a skill or education, if you make them laugh, I promote a show called No Agenda. And what they do is it's Adam Curry, who's one of the guys that invented podcasting and John C. Dvorak. And they have this huge audience And they get news from all over the planet, and then they deconstruct it. And the whole time I'm like, why is this not on the news? Like, why why am I hearing how – or Jen Briney is another one. She does Congressional Dish. And I'll hear what's going on in Congress, and I'm like, wait a minute. You mean our congressman just undid all this stuff that kind of held the banks in check? I'm like, I can't believe this. And I turn on the news, and it's like Kim Kardashian wore a red dress on the – the red carpet today. And I'm like, this is driving me nuts. So that's an example. Information you can't get anyplace else that transforms you in in one way. I always kind of say value for me is you're either going to make me laugh, cry, think, groan, educate, or entertain me. And if you're not doing any of those, you're boring. 
And there are shows that I hear they'll start off and it's Jim and, and Jill and they're just doing chit chat, you know, oh, what's, oh, it's sunny here. What about you? Well, I don't know. My dog ran outside and okay, it's not funny. You're educating me about your dog that I don't care. I tuned in to listen about topic A and now I'm learning about your French toast recipe. This is not a cooking show. You're boring. There was a study, just it was very popular, and people were saying humans have the attention span now less than a goldfish. And I dug into that a couple episodes ago. That's actually not true. Uh, the actual study wasn't true. What I think now is it's not that our attention spans are shorter. I think we really know what we're looking for, and we're able to spot when we're not going to get it. Yeah. So it's it's not that we're you're losing our attention. It's just like, hey, I tuned in to hear about this, and you're talking about your favorite Bob Seger song. I don't care. I tuned in to, to hear about something else. And so people tune out and people go, oh, see, short attention spans. And I'm like, no, nah, I think they're just able to detect that you're not going to give me what I want. When, when I hear somebody say, hey, I don't know what we're going to talk about today on the show, but it's Wednesday and it's time to give you a show. I'm like, stop right there because I don't want to hear somebody wing it for 45 minutes. Yeah. I don't know many people who are talented enough to wing it for 45 minutes. I mean, you have to be very competent in your subject matter and so practiced at publicly, what am I trying to say? Improv. Yeah. I, I, so, I went to Second City in Chicago. This is where like half of Saturday Night Live came from. I mean, this is like one of the improv clubs in the nation. And I went there once and I'm going to say 70% of it was pretty bad. But on the other hand, you kind of go, well, they're making it up on the spot. I'm like, yep. And it shows. On the other hand, the stuff that was was funny was really funny. So you kind of felt like you still got value, but there was a lot of times when you're like, they'd be like, give us four words from the audience. And it'd be like, banana, stretcher, Volvo. And they're like, now they have to make something out of that. And you're like, well, yeah, they made something out of it. It was just weird and boring. So yeah, I don't want to have to rely on uh, just riffing off the top of my head. I'm nowhere near that uh, exciting or entertaining. Yeah. And I think the problem is um, the internet culture gives this impression that you can just publish things and it's going to be the most fascinating thing in the world to people. It's real. Re it's a real conversation. I'm like, look, I could let you listen to me and my my best friend of whatever, 40 years talk, but it's a real conversation. But there's a lot of inside jokes there that you're not going to get. And we're going to start laughing about Orange Gatorade and you have no idea what we're talking about. And, you know, and they go, yeah, but it's real. And I'm like, it's real boring is what it is. It's great for you. But for me, it's just not doing anything for me. And this brings me back to one of my hobby horses. Uh, I love the Steve Martin quote, be so good they can't ignore you. And I think our culture doesn't know what that means. We think doing something flashy or that is the glitteriest thing out there is what that means. But that's not what that means. It, it really means putting in your time to learn your craft and your topic and your subject matter so well that people have to sit up and take notice because it's truly interesting. And that's one of the things I appreciate about your show. You take the time on School of Podcasting to look into the things you're talking about, to research it. I mean, just the example you gave about the ad platform that you tried out and you made 0 0.0 whatever cents per click. You make it interesting because you have facts that you bring to the table. My favorite Steve Martin quote, it's in his master class, and he said, so many young comedians approach me, and they're like, how do I get an agent? How do I get a manager? He goes, nobody's asking me, how do I get good? Yeah. 
I see a lot of podcasters, they'll have a great microphone. Uh, right now I'm talking into Electro Voice RE320, and I'll have somebody go, should I invest in a Shure SM7B, which is another great microphone, but it's a total sideways move. And I always say, if your audience isn't complaining about your audio, getting a new microphone is not going to grow your audience. But it's one of those things that I think we do because it feels like I'm doing something, where the better thing would be to go find a way to interact with your audience and find out what they really want, find out what's working. But that also means you have to find out what's not working. And that's a hard pill to swallow to go, Ooh, I've been doing something that's just not that good. But on the, you know, again, if you're in the long haul, you got to be able to take that pill and go, Oh, really? You Okay. I remember once I had a jingle, I was borrowing something from Jim Rome, the radio guy. And I said, give me three episodes. If you don't like me by three episodes, I'm a, I'm an acquired taste. And I found a, a, a song that I could actually use legally. And the chorus was like, one, two, three. And so I would, I had this in a loop. The guys would say one, two, three, and I'd come on and be like, here's what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. And then one, two, three would come back on. And I played it twice. And I had so many people say, whatever you do, do not play that jingle again. That's the most <laughs> annoying thing I've ever heard. So that's what you want to hear because I don't want to do things that annoy my audience. But I think that sometimes... And I understand why. I always kind of joke, and I'm like, podcasting is my art, man. And nobody likes to have somebody critique their art. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, when I first started playing the guitar, it wasn't that good either, you know. And as you do it more and more, you get better. And it's just a matter of finding out what does my audience want and let me give them that. Totally. And you do a great service for folks through your, your Ask the Podcast Coach. Yeah, we've got a couple of things. Ask the Podcast Coach was started because – uh, my background's in teaching. And so when somebody says I need help and I go, oh, well here, you can schedule a coaching call. And they're like, oh, that's that's a little out of my budget. I'm like, well, if you can get up on Saturdays at 1030, I do a live call in show. And so that's a place where you can get your questions answered. And then I have a, a show with uh, Eric K. Johnson called the Podcast Review Show. We actually have you fill out a form because we want to know like, what are you trying to do with your podcast because there are times when, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get more speaking gigs. And then we'll listen to your show and you go, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but you didn't mention that you are a speaker anywhere in your show. So your content is not in alignment with your goals. So that's a, a show where we go over and we also go over your website and things like that. So that's the podcast review show. And then I do a lot of shows that I just, I'm testing something and then they don't go away. What, what was supposed to last a month has now been going on for three years. And I have one called the Podcast Rodeo Show, where I grab a random podcast and see how long I can hang on, because I'm amazed how many times the first five minutes of a podcast is just horrible. And I finally had one of my audience members explain what the show is. They said, this is Mystery Science Theater 3000 for podcasting, because I just play your show and just talk. I'm like, oh, this was really good. Okay, you're losing me. All right, I'm really bored. You know, that kind of thing. So the only reason that show exists is I needed to test a new platform, but I had no time to do a new podcast. And so I was like, I need a show that has zero show prep. How do you do a show that has zero show prep? I'm like, I'll just riff off the top of that. So those are those are some things you can do if you're looking for uh, some insight. Yeah. And that is genius, by the way. I love the podcast radio show. That's so fun. How many podcasts did you create and play around with before you hit one that you felt like was, ah, this is the one I can do something with this. My first one was for musicians. It was, uh, now I changed the name of that show three times. It originally was the musician cyber cooler. Cause again, this is 2005. And back then the internet was called cyberspace. Well then unfortunately 
cyber got linked a lot to the word sex. And I was like, all mm-hmm. right, I got to get the word cyber out of here. So then it was just the musician's cooler. And it had a big picture of a water cooler where musicians come to trade advice. And people still didn't get the name of, they didn't understand what the podcast was about. They didn't get a podcast back in those days, but they really didn't understand the name. And I eventually changed the name to the Marketing Musician Podcast. And people went, oh, that's what you're, you're trying to do. Besides being a teacher, one of my backgrounds was customer service. And I thought I'll start a show called the Customer Service Show. And I'll, I'll talk about examples of great and poor customer service. And I think I did six episodes of that. And I just sounded like a grumpy old man. I was like, I went into this store today and it's like, eh, who's going to listen to that? And I also realized that even though customer service was part of my job, it wasn't something that I was passionate about. It went out and after about five episodes, I was like, yeah, enough of that. My now ex-wife and I started a podcast on a dare because we were at a, a kitchen table and we were swapping horrible date stories of people before we got married. And her one friend said, this is a great podcast. You should start a show. And we did, but we both had about two or three stories. So we ran out of content and then we went to our audience, which we didn't have because it was a new show and said, you know, share your horrible dating stories. Well, the number one fear among humans is talking in public and then throw on top of that. Oh, please humiliate yourself by explaining how it was a horrible date. So we didn't get any feedback and that show died a quick and painful death because we just didn't have any content. But that's where I learned that if you're going to do a show that requires a lot of audience participation, you better have an audience for that to work. It's one of those things where you can say, oh, that show was a failure. And I'm like, no, there were plenty of lessons learned from all of those. So, Yeah, if you're going to do audience participation, it's important to have an audience. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I tried that on a podcast too. You know, give me your questions. Give me your yeah. crickets. You got to have an audience for sure. Well, David, I appreciate your time coming on to tell us about your book. I'm assuming School of Podcasting, they can find everything Dave Jackson. That thing's all Dave Jackson. And if you're looking for the book specifically, you can go to ProfitFromYourPodcast.com. Imagine that. I like those domain things. They make things easy. Well, Dave, totally appreciate what you've done for podcasting. You are in the Hall of Fame for a reason. And I just want to wish you the best on this book. Thank you, sir. I deeply appreciate it. Appreciate your time and appreciate you sharing that with your audience. I really do. Thank you so much. You bet. Hello. Wow, friends, that's just a taste of what is in Dave's book. He sent me a copy to review before we had this conversation. I'm telling you, this is a I can't put it down kind of book. I mean, because it's just so well written in the sense of it's engaging and fun. But it also has got so many illustrations and so many stories of the successes that people have had and the mistakes they've made. So if you're at all interested in monetizing your podcast, this is a book you should pick up yesterday. Dave, thanks so much for your time on Podcastification. And for you, the listener, you know, that's all the time we got for today. Go out and make it a podcastificating day. This show is brought to you by Podcast Fast Track, where my team provides professional podcasting services without the time suck. Full production, editing, and show notes, all in one monthly subscription package. You can find out more at podcastfasttrack.com. Now go out and make it a podcastificating day.